We're talking Packers, Seahawks, the Badgers with another win. We've got some Division Three football news from here in the state. We've got college basketball up and running. We've got some Brewer news. We got a ton of stuff to get to on the 414 Sports Podcast presented by Soul Boxer. Let's get it going. Oh! But instead, it's the 414 Sports Podcast, and it starts right now. Welcome in to this Monday edition of the 414 Sports Podcast presented by Soul Boxer. Soul Boxer, crafting and bottling bartender quality cocktails you can enjoy anywhere. The bourbon old-fashioned, the brandy old-fashioned, the Manhattan all crafted to remain true to their supper club origins. You'll find Soul Boxer wherever you pick up your favorite libations. And our thanks to you as well for joining us on this podcast Whether you've jumped on through Google, Apple, or Spotify, we thank you, as well as the other five platforms that we currently reside on. If you would so be inclined, please hit that subscribe button. We would sure appreciate it. So let's start today with the Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers, who beat the Seattle Seahawks yesterday 17-0 at Lambeau Field, And it's nice that we finally get to talk about some things that occurred on the field as opposed to COVID gate and all of the mess off the field regarding immunizations and vaccinations and calling Joe Rogan as part of your medical team to see how you would go after COVID and all of that mess. We finally put the green and gold back into Lambeau Field after really what was an extended road trip as far as the NFL goes. Uh, with the Green Bay Packers. So good to have the Packers back at home in the month of November, now leading into December. And they, as I said, come away with that 17-0 win over the Seahawks. Now, when is the last time that you can remember, as a Green Bay Packer fan, that you simply want to talk first and foremost about the defense? I don't know if I, I – I think it has to go back to the Reggie White area with Reggie White and Leroy Butler and, and that cast on the defensive side of the ball. I think that could be the last time that I can truly remember wanting to talk about the defense first. And the defense yesterday was absolutely spectacular. What Joe Barry has done as defensive coordinator – in relation to the former defensive coordinator, Mike Penton, has been remarkable. This defensive squad, at least outwardly looking in, from for me, they seem more disciplined. Like, guys are not getting burned like we've seen in the past. Guys are staying within their realm with whatever their assignment is. Yes, there are mistakes. That's going to happen. That's, that's sport. I don't care what the sport is. Mistakes happen. 
But this team, on the defensive side, under Joe Barry, just seems to be, in my opinion, more disciplined. And discipline doesn't mean he's a yeller and screamer because when you look at him, I, I can't remember. Now, granted, we only get certain shots when the networks want to show the sidelines. But he just looks like somebody who's got his plan in place and he's working through that plan in a meticulous fashion and doesn't necessarily get involved with a lot of the rah-rah and the hype. I got a job to do. Let's go do it. And it almost appears like that is rubbing off on the defensive unit who played miraculously yesterday, shutting out the Seahawks. I want, I want to come up with a, a better adjective to say it, but that's just what they did, and I guess that should be good enough when you win 17 to nothing. Russell Wilson yesterday was not necessarily Russell Wilson that we know. Russell Wilson coming off of that finger injury in which he needed surgery is back probably four weeks earlier than anybody thought. He himself says he's around 95%. 95% of Russell Wilson is better than a lot of quarterbacks in the league. And there were some throws yesterday you could tell that the finger bothered him. He was not 100% back. Some throws that were errant, overshot, some throws that were short, whatever the case may be. And conversely, we saw the same thing from Aaron Rodgers, who's been out for 10 days due to COVID. Both quarterbacks, in essence, look rusty. And the killer part for me is the fact that it was 3 nothing through three quarters. And usually when it's a close game, I find myself as a fan sitting on the edge of my seat because in the past, the defense has faltered at some point and the Packers have never looked comfortable coming from behind. Again, my opinion. They just never look comfortable coming from behind. And so yesterday after three quarters, it's 3 nothing. And the way Green Bay dominated the game, they were moving the ball, and heaven knows we heard Tony Romo over and over and over again talking about how the Seattle Seahawks bend but don't break. To nauseam yesterday, I think we heard Tony Romo talk about the Seattle defense bending and not breaking, even though that's exactly what they did. But man, he got on that soapbox and would not let it go. And yet, the way, again, the Packers were moving the ball, and the way the Packers were playing defensively, not once did I find myself, as I said, sitting on the edge of my seat worried about what would happen. And then in the fourth quarter, the Packers got their you-know-what together, and A.J. Dillon, with two touchdowns, became, in essence, the MVP of yesterday's game. So you have a rusty Aaron Rodgers coming off of COVID, and a rusty Aaron Rodgers, kind of like what I was explaining with Russell Wilson, is still better than a vast majority of the quarterbacks in the NFL. And then you give A.J. Dillon the football, who was just running the power game, especially when Aaron Jones went out, running power football with the line now that has gelled and still not in possession of David Bakhtiari, who should return next week or the week after, things are really starting to come together and the trajectory for this Green Bay Packer team is definitely upward, especially when we think back of week one 
when they played the New Orleans Saints and, and how devastated as fans we all were to see how poorly they played on both sides of the ball against the Saints. And yet since that time, incrementally, every couple of weeks, they just seem to take the next step and continue to get better. And while we're seeing some teams like Tampa Bay starting to struggle a little bit after week 10 of the season, and by no means when I say struggle do I think Tampa Bay is is out of it, but we're starting to see some struggles there with the Buccaneers. The Packers, on the other hand, keep seemingly taking the next step. Now, taking those next steps might be a little bit difficult, as Aaron Jones, we said, went out yesterday, sprained MCL. MRI today, hopefully the MRI will show nothing more than a sprained MCL. Um Aaron Jones, a little bit distraught yesterday, as reported by CBS, coming out of the medical tent. But it appears as if it is nothing more than a sprain. And hopefully then that just means some rehabilitation and some rest. And then we can get Aaron Jones back into the fold. Rashawn Gary with the elbow injury, he too will have an MRI. But it appears as if Rashawn Gary's injury is not as serious as first anticipated Again, a hyperextended elbow. It doesn't look like there's any structural damage, according to some early reports on Yahoo Sports, and no ligament damage. So for Rashad Gary, we're looking at, hopefully, again, some rehab and some rest. The other big injury coming out of yesterday was Whitney Marcellus, who left the game with a bicep injury. There was no further update on Whitney's uh, progress or the detail regarding the extent of his injury as of Monday, so we'll keep an eye on that. So though injuries happen in the game, it appears as if the Packers have escaped, in essence, the major injuries that would sideline some guys for the remainder of the season. And instead, with a bye week still in play, looking at maybe some rest and, as I said, some rehabilitation, and we can get these guys hopefully back on the field to make that late push Now, as we work our way towards the end of November into December, trying to maintain that number one seed for the playoffs, and the number one seed this year is the only seed that will get a bye. And when you guys watch the NFL and understand how many injuries that occur week in and week out, having a week's rest. Now, I know there are proponents out there that if you're you're playing well and your momentum is in full effect, You don't want to necessarily rest, but the NFL is a little bit different in with the injuries. A week of rest, a week for these guys to get as healthy as possible late January, so to speak, that becomes ever so important. So as the Packers keep moving forward now, 8-2 with the loss to Arizona, with Arizona, excuse me, yesterday, they're back in that number one seed. Now, before we uh, cut out here on our Green Bay Packers and move into a little college football, what's up with the special teams? Like, why suddenly, in the middle of the season, did we replace the long snapper, which plays a bigger role than I think most people understand when it comes to field goals as far as rotation of the snap, the holder getting the ball down, and suddenly we had probably one of the most consistent kickers in all of football. And now when Mason Crosby runs on the field, all I see are question marks dancing over his head because I I think with the misses that have occurred, his confidence 
has to be at an all-time low. And he has been one who has been nothing short, as I said, that we could just put Mr. Consistent on the back of his jersey and know we were talking about Mason Crosby. Now, he missed one yesterday, and I don't know necessarily yesterday if that one can go on the holder. To me, that one looked like the wind got a hold of it and pushed it to the right. He later would get a field goal to kind of answer in the other end of the field, which, again, makes me think that the wind had more to do with the miss yesterday than anything else. But the special teams for the Packers need to get corrected and corrected quick. My fear is that as the offense continues to do what the offense does, the defense playing, as we were just talking about, at a level that we haven't seen in Green Bay in quite a while, my fear is the special teams is going to play a crucial role coming down the stretch, whether we're talking kickoff, kick return, field goals, you name it. And the way it looks now, it's the special teams unit that has all of the question marks on it. I still would love to know why the long snapper, again, was replaced in the middle of the season, why they felt the need to make that change. They were doing just fine. If I'm not mistaken, I saw a stat that said Mason Crosby was 9 of 9 until he went into this kind of funk that he's in right now. And if I'm not mistaken, there's a direct correlation to when he went into this funk and when we switched long snappers. Like, what was the purpose? You bring in a long snapper to do just that. They long snap. They don't do anything else. They're not on kick coverage. They're not on kick return. They sure as heck aren't going in to play right guard while somebody needs a breather or goes out with an ankle injury. They're there to long snap. And why the Packers switched the when they did and why they did is a question I would really love to have somebody explain to the fan base because it seems to have altered one aspect of this team that is going to be crucial coming down the stretch. So again, Packers win 17 nothing. Keep an eye on those injuries to Aaron Jones, Rashawn Gary, and Whitney Marcellus to see as the week progresses how their status will be for this upcoming week. On the other side of the timeout, we got another football team in this state that is in the midst of a winning streak. And in the midst of that winning streak, it's because of how the defense is setting the tone. I can't tell you the last time that I have thought about football in this state from the defensive perspective over anything else, and yet that's what we're in the midst of right now. So we'll talk about the Wisconsin Badgers on the other side of this timeout. All right, let's turn our attention right now to the Wisconsin Badgers. Let's talk a little college football here in the state of Wisconsin. We're also going to get to, in the next segment, some of the stuff happening in D3 because we've got a couple of teams now ready to make that push as we're set for the playoffs in Division Three. It's funny how Division One a as I still like to call it, Division Two, Division Three, all can have a playoff system that works and yet 
in Division One, the Power Five, and all of the politics that go along with it still can't get it straightened out. But anyhow, we'll get to that in the next segment because if you follow college football in the state, Division Three football in this state is some of the best you'll find anywhere in the country. And we've got a couple of teams, as I said, headed for the playoffs. We'll get to that in the next segment. But while we're still talking college football, let's talk about the Wisconsin Badgers, who on Saturday won their sixth in a row, this time by pummeling Northwestern 35-7. to And I'll tell you, it was nice to see the Badgers go ahead and pummel Northwestern. Northwestern over the years has had this ability to drag Wisconsin out of their element and make it a game within the trenches where it would get ugly and Northwestern would get a big play here or there and the Badgers would never get anything going offensively and it would just be one of those, as many like to call, a trap game for the Wisconsin Badgers. That wasn't the case on Saturday. And thankfully, we have seen... The emergence, the ability now of a 17-year-old by the name of Braylon Allen on this Wisconsin Badger team, as Gary Ellerson in Milwaukee likes to call him, the former Packer and Badger, he likes to call him a gam. Braylon Allen's a grown-ass man. There is no question about it. Braylon Allen now has run for 100 yards in those six contests in which The Badgers have been on this winning streak and have them now on a path to win the Big Ten West. And I wrote an article in 414sports.com in which I simply entitled it, What If? And if you think back, the what if with regards to Penn State, Notre Dame, and Michigan. And when I look back at those three games, right now I still would have question marks on their ability to to beat Michigan. Michigan much tougher on the defensive line than Penn State and Notre Dame. We were a Badger team that had no identity offensively, a Badger team that was still searching for its offensive identity early on in the year. And when you think back to that Penn State game, a couple of fumbles in the red zone, specifically inside the five, would have meant a huge difference in the outcome of that game. But you lose to Penn State in a bit of an ugly fashion, and you lost to Notre Dame. And quite honestly, I think if we could go back and play the what-if game and replay those teams, I think we win two out of three, which would change the dynamic as far as this team goes in the national conversation, only having one loss. But we have three losses against those three aforementioned teams. What's crazy to think about now is a win against Nebraska, a win against Minnesota, and you'll find yourself in the Big Ten championship game. And in that Big Ten championship game, you're going to face, obviously, the winner of the Big Ten East, which many believe to be Ohio State. But Ohio State still has to play the likes of Michigan and Michigan State. So the top three teams on the eastern side are going to go after one another here down the stretch and we'll see how things play out it's always funny that everybody keeps griping that ohio state has got enough holes in them that they are ripe for the picking and yet no one can do it listen you could have all the holes in the world but when you have the athleticism 
that Ohio State has, you can overcome those holes much easier than, let's say, if you're the Wisconsin Badgers. But with all that said and done, should the Badgers win their next two, both winnable. Now, to me, Nebraska is going to be the toughest of the two because even though Scott Frost has been a train wreck as a head coach for the Cornhuskers, that team plays for him. And they have played opponents tough this year. Their record isn't great, but when you look at the games and how they've progressed and how they've been in games, the game against Nebraska is a little bit worrisome. Minnesota, though started questionable, got themselves on a run, and now they've cooled off a little bit coming down to home stretch. You win these next two, you're in the Big Ten Championship, as I alluded to. And that what if, the chance to redeem yourself, a lot of teams don't get that. The Badgers could have an opportunity to do just that. If they get to the Big Ten Championship and take on the likes of Michigan, Michigan State, or Ohio State and win that game, it will not propel them into a Final Four berth for the college football championship. But what a redemption story the Badgers would have if they make it to that point. Now that's really looking in the crystal ball way out in advance. But what if? Man, it's a lot of fun to think about. So on Saturday... We get Braylon Allen, as I said, a gam. Uh, Career high in carries, 25. He goes for 173 yards, three touchdowns. And we have not seen a true freshman accomplish what he's accomplished since Anthony Davis back in 2001. So Braylon Allen is really, really stepping up. The question's going to be, who is number two? Who's going to be that second running back that will step in? Paul Chris, the head coach of the Badgers, addressed the running back situation in his presser after the game. This is courtesy of YouTube. Yeah, it's um, you don't. I mean, you. Uh, he's important to us, and and um, have loved his progression, and and you saw today. You know what he's, and you've seen it before. But what he's capable of, and and I think that's where other guys, you know, need to be a part of it. And I think that's where, um, you know, it was important to get Julius back in the game and for him to be able to finish. I thought he ran hard, but you know, fourth quarter we put two two on the ground, and you know, our defense pitches a shutout and give them seven points. That, that's not very good, and it's not that he. No one wants to go out there and put it on there, but um, you know we're going to need more than just Braylon, I believe. So that's head coach Paul Christ, obviously talking about Braylon Allen, and talking about when is the right time to pull him out. And as you heard in the very introduction portion of his response, he's kind of like, "I'm not really sure. I don't know how to do this quite yet. I got a young man." who is carrying the load, who is much more mature and much older than his 17-year-old frame, but it will be necessary to find a number two. So Julius Davis comes in, and there's high hopes regarding Julius Davis, and there still should be high hopes regarding Julius Davis, but he put the ball on the ground a couple of times. And right now it appears as if Brady Shipper is going to be the one who will be the number two running back for the Wisconsin Badgers 
with the last two regular season games remaining, along with a little bit of Julius Davis thrown into the mix. The Wisconsin Badgers have shown a propensity to put a couple of running backs out there. It's not a one-person show. Braylon Allen's going to see the brunt of the carries like he did against Northwestern. But you better believe Brady Shipper and Julius Davis, especially if Julius Davis can run the way he knows how to and not put the ball on the ground, that that two and three running back position is going to be more like 2A and 2B in adjacent to what Braylon Allen brings to the table. And before we get out of the business of talking about the Wisconsin Badgers, you cannot help but talk about the defense once again. This defense for the Badgers is historic in its efforts and its stats moving through this season. Wisconsin, in the midst of this six-game winning streak, is only allowing 7.3 a game while the Badgers are scoring 28, and you don't need to be a math major to figure out that's a heck of a ratio if you're going to make a move here down the stretch in hopes of getting into that Big Ten championship game. So with the likes of Braylon Allen doing what he's doing, with the likes of Jack Sanborn and Leo Chanel on the defensive side from the linebacker spot doing what they're doing and seeing that we're getting historic numbers from the defensive side of the ball, you have to believe that this team could find themselves in the Big Ten championship And what you hope for is a little bit of chaos in the Big Ten East. As these last two weeks play out, you just really hope for a little bit of chaos out of the Big Ten East to see who will end up in Indianapolis for that championship game. It's going to be fun. it's, It's remarkable how this Badger club has turned the season around, has turned the tide after just complete and utter frustration with them in those first few games to see them now really clicking, to see Graham Mertz starting to take those steps forward, starting to show a little bit of the promise that many anticipated would be Graham Mertz throughout this season, but now suddenly we're starting to see the confidence get built back in. So with two games remaining, The Badgers sit in the driver's seat in the Big Ten West, something I don't know if we thought was plausible, not but maybe four, five, six, seven weeks ago, but it is, and now the Badgers have an opportunity to control their own destiny with a chance to find themselves in the Big Ten Championship. As I said, they'll take on Nebraska this Saturday. We'll talk about that game coming up a little bit later in the week in one of our future episodes as we're getting just ever so more excited about this Badger football team. On the other side of the break, as I said, the Division Three schools in this state are by far some of the best that you'll find anywhere in the country, especially collectively. And we got a couple of schools from the state of Wisconsin headed to the NCAA Division Three football tournament and we'll talk about those after we take a quick timeout.
let's wrap today's podcast up with a couple of news and notes. First of all, with regards to the Milwaukee Brewers, they have hired now multiple hitting coaches after uh, replacing Andy Haynes, who was fired, oh, what, about a month ago or so. They have went out and hired Ozzie Timmons and Connor Dawson to replace Andy Haynes. So those are two new names we will see on the Brewer staff going into next season after obviously a disappointing exit to this 2021 season after a remarkable regular season run to be ousted the way they did, but eventually by the World Series champions in the Atlanta Braves. Again, went out and hired two hitting coaches, Ozzie Timmons, Connor Dawson, to replace the fired Andy Haynes. Also, college basketball up and running. Both Marquette and Wisconsin looking really good in the early parts of this season. With Wisconsin, keep an eye on Chucky Hepburn, first uh, freshman to start, I think, since 2001. I I have a feeling he's going to be somebody to keep an eye on as he kind of meshes with Jonathan Davis over in Madison. The Badgers, I think, unexpectedly will have a pretty nice season in the Big Ten as it goes forward. Marquette in the middle of a a cultural change over there with the Golden Eagles uh, as far as bringing Shaka Smart in and learning a new system and watching that new system in play. There are some struggles, but already offensively you're seeing a much more fluid offense than what you saw under Steve Wojciechowski. And the UWM Panthers, my goodness, Pat Baldwin Jr. is already living up to expectations, starts his year off by back-to-back double-doubles. They have a ceiling that is so high there for the Panthers that it's going to be fun to see how they keep climbing and make their way hopefully into the postseason in the Horizon League. But more importantly, this team has the capability of getting to an NCAA tournament. So we'll see how that all plays out early on, very early. We're going to get a lot of these holiday tournaments coming up. And the nice thing about basketball is you'll you'll see these major matchups that take place that really end up having no bearing on much of anything once you get into the selection process in March. But because there are so many games in basketball, you can have these key matchups early, get an idea of how you're faring so far this season before you get into conference play without ru- ruining excuse me, any projections moving forward as far as the NCAA tournament goes. So we'll keep an eye on all of that and really sit back and enjoy these holiday tournaments. We close out today by congratulating the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater and the University of Wisconsin-Lacrosse. Both now have made it into the Division Three playoff realm at the NCAA Division Three football level. It will be Wisconsin-Lacrosse at Albion this coming Saturday, and Whitewater will host Greenville, both opening round matchups. As there are 239 teams that play NCAA Division Three football in the United States, out of those, you get a 32-team tournament, and within that 32-team, 27 receive automatic bids by winning their conference. So Whitewater got the automatic bid by winning the WEAC, and UW Lacrosse gets one of those coveted at-large bids. There are five at-large teams that make it into the tournament, and they 
were able to get one of those at-large bids based on the committee's recommendation. So we've got two teams here in the state of Wisconsin vying for a potential NCAA Division III national championship. And as I said going into this segment, it's kind of amazing that Division Three, Division Two, and as I still call it, Division One A, can figure out how to have a tournament to determine a champion, and yet the Power Five can't figure it out. Well, we know why they can't figure it out, because there's so much money involved, but yet the other divisions have no issue with how they go about their business in moving forward. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the week, because I think it'd be a very easy fix in order to move a playoff into the Division I Power Five realm that would make more sense than this current pick-four-by-committee scenario that we're faced with. That'll do it for our podcast on this episode. I'm Don Wachillis. Thank you so much for chiming in and joining us. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Don't forget to go out and get yourself some Soul Boxer. And don't forget to keep your eyes peeled as we'll be back here later in the week. Take care, everybody.